0: I'm Chief Cheryl Victorian. This is Waco PD on the beat. Whether it's crime or just getting to know the Waco Police Department, we're here to talk about things that matter most to you.
1: And welcome to Waco PD on the beat. I'm Sierra Shipley, your public information officer for the Waco Police Department. And this month, actually, if you didn't know, is Child Abuse Awareness Month. And so we have a few members from the Advocacy Center for Crime Victims and Children here to join us to talk about the work that they do, why this month is so important. And I will go ahead and let them introduce themselves first. So and Okay, it looks like Amy's going to take it away here. Okay, my name
2: is Amy Derrick. I'm the crisis hotline coordinator and a case manager.
1: Wonderful.
0: And I'm Dr. Carrie Berkeley. I'm the associate director overseeing the Children's Advocacy Center program.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you guys both for joining us here today. Uh, before we get, you know, into the, into the nitty gritty of the Advocacy Center, talk to me about how you guys got into this work and, you know, why it's so important for you. How long have you been at the Advocacy Center as well?
2: Um, Well, next month will be a year for me. So I haven't been there a long, long time. Um, Back in 2010 is when I really started helping people. I was a 911 dispatcher for eight and a half years. And then I went to the heart of Texas Council of Governments and worked in emergency preparedness there. And I really wanted to keep helping people. And I actually talked to Barbara, at the time, executive director and she said, well, just send in your resume, and if you find something, then, you know, that's great, because she said, we don't have any openings right now, and then I got a call and came in for interviews, and it was great. I love it. I love helping people.
1: Absolutely. Was it a kind of an interesting transition from dispatcher to the advocacy center? Um, not really, because when I was a
2: dispatcher, I also did victim services here, okay. so, um, you know, I've helped a lot of people in the yeah. same way
1: yeah that's awesome it's great to know that you can transfer those skills you right. don't realize that a lot of the skills you might learn in a previous job are, are important into the next one yeah. so that's awesome and then Dr. Berkeley what about yourself
0: so I've been with the agency for 25 years going on 26 in August and I first came out as a college grad and my object was first to get a job, <laughs> and just so happens that uh, the then executive director, uh, her pa- her husband pastored uh, Seventh and James Baptist Church, the Bailey's, and she was executive rather, uh, director. Um, and uh, so when I was visiting my cousin, who's a secretary there. And said, What are you gonna do after graduation? I said, I need to find a job. And then she walked in the office and said, Hey, it just so happens we have a position that's open in education. Would you mind applying? I said, Sure. So I applied, and now 25-plus years later, I'm still at the Advocacy Center doing this work. So. That's
1: great. That's great. They haven't been able to get rid of you. No, no,
0: no. And they don't want to. I don't want no, them to yeah. either. I want to stay. <laughs> I want to be a part of this because it's, a, it's some life-changing work that we're doing.
1: Absolutely. So what is the Advocacy Center?
0: So the Advocacy Center is a nonprofit organization that offers the services for children and families that are impacted by crime. And we also are committed to facilitating change through advocacy, collaboration, and community awareness. Uh, So when folks come to us, they get services for free because we're funded by grants and uh, other Uh, funding sources that help us provide these services. Uh, But we're centered on client families. That's the predominant uh, focus that we have. Over 90% of our clientele are survivors of some form of sexual uh, assault or sexual abuse. We do see trafficking victims as well as physical abuse victims, identity theft victims. You run the gamut. So any person who is a victim of any crime at any time can get services to the advocacy center.
1: Wow. And is this, is this advocacy center, when people come to you for services or learn about those services, is this something that people are aware of? Or are you still trying to kind of push for the word out on the advocacy center?
2: I think it's probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we have been getting out there more and more doing different events and stuff. And so I think that people are kind of aware of it, but I don't think that they're aware of all of the services that are offered. Right
1: right. right, right. And what kind of partnerships do you guys have within the community and surrounding law enforcement agencies as well?
0: So our partnerships are unique because we do partner with all of our law enforcement agencies across. Uh, in my program, the agency, let me back up, the Advocacy Center covers six counties. Oh, wow, uh, okay. And our, my program, Children's Advocacy Center, covers five of those counties, but we still do courtesy services for uh, Bosque County, which is the uh, county that we're in, but we offer services for anyone as a courtesy that may have children in our area. And when mm-hmm. I say courtesy, we can offer services through forensic interviewing, counseling, and and medical examinations for a case that may have originated in a different county or jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we partner with the uh, unique ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Historically, uh, CAC's Children's Advocacy Center is founded. Uh, was because the need was so great for these families, but now it is under uh, the family code two, uh, uh, 264 in the family code that helps us to understand how children's advocacy centers should operate, uh, our community partnerships, and our connections with individuals that work those cases, and how we can best facilitate uh, a good, wholesome investigation to help these clients get the, uh, the services that they need. Number one, make sure they're okay. But then also to make sure that justice is served for those who uh, perpetrate these crimes. Yeah.
1: Is this so you, I had no idea your guys' reach was so far through six counties. Obviously, I knew McLennan County was yes. was, you know, where you're headquartered at. So do you guys have offices in each of those counties or how, how does that yes, expand? We do.
0: we do. We have space in uh, so all so what I'm just talking about with partnerships is on a county basis. But each of those counties, whether it be McLennan County, which is our largest county, Hill County, uh, we have space in Hill County, Hillsboro, Falls County, we have space and collaborations there. With Limestone County, space there in Limestone County, Mejia, and then Freestone County all the way out in Fairfield. All of these counties we have – so what we can see in McLennan County – And we also have a a glimpse of it in those other counties, whether it be a forensic interview room, case management, counseling is available as well. The only thing that we have that's centrally located is the medical component. However, we do have some agreements with the regional hospitals, uh, with those counties that any of those folks who are needing services can get services there.
1: How how long has the advocacy center been around?
0: So we've been around since 1976. Okay, started yeah. out as the Waco Rape Crisis Center, and then we had a, a few name changes, and ultimately uh, became the Advocacy Center for Crime Victims and Children.
1: Wow! And Amy, as the, as the hotline coordinator, are you answering those calls in McClendon County, or all six of those?
2: Um, so we have a local phone number, but we also have an 800 number and. For example, a couple of weeks ago, I got a call out of Van Zant County because mm. he said that our number was the first number that popped up. Yeah. So, wow. um, it's really dependent on I guess whenever you Google it, but yeah. um, but yes, we do
1: get calls for all six of our counties and other ones. Okay, so. yeah. So I guess when those when those calls that come way outside, you you still help them. You don't tell yes. hey we're not for you and then go ahead and hang up. You right. How, so how does that help work? Um, so I will
2: we have a hotline phone and then i have my personal phone and so i'll get on my personal phone and just start looking up phone numbers for mm. advocacy centers or crisis centers hospitals anything in their area and give them that information
1: right i'm sure that's really helpful too for those people and i mean i guess that's kind of that's kind of interesting to know that that you guys have expanded so much that it you're, you're the n- first number to come up on, right. on some of these <laughs> Google searches. That's pretty good. Which is a good
0: thing because, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, this uh, is a taboo topic that most folks in community don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. But the, the statistics are showing that many families are impacted by uh, child sexual abuse, sexual assault, uh, rape, things of that nature. So whenever we can get our name out there with our services to let family members or community people know, hey, we are here available for you, it really bodes well, not just for the services we offer, but for the wholeness and the healing for those families that are impacted by this.
1: Absolutely. Now, I know that here at Waco PD, we do have our victim services unit. So is that a unit that you guys work closely with, with these victims that come across?
2: Yes. Um, I actually talk with them quite a bit Um when I took over as coordinator, we kind of had a meeting. Like I said, I, I was a volunteer here before, so I got to come up and talk to them. kind of had a meeting on how we could make things better and work together better. So it's, it's been really nice. Yeah. Why, why are those
1: partnerships important?
2: I just think it's super important to have more than just you or a Staff member, absolutely. Right. yeah, absolutely, something like that. I mean, some of these people um, have experience in other things that maybe you don't, and you can put your experience mm. together and work on helping that person that needs help. And right. it's the,
0: it's the very image of what advocacy is all about. Um, you look at these criminal activities that happen towards families, it's more or less based on isolation, so where they are victimized by their perpetrator in isolation. Why? Because the criminal does not want. People to know what's happening. So when we we band together with uh, the uh, the different organizations to do what we do, we're showing no. We're unifying our services to let you know it's a unified front. We're standing together and advocating for our families. That that bodes tremendously well. I know Amy is doing a great job in uh, her victim services uh, role here at the advocacy center. And those collaborations mean something just the same way as it does in the advocacy center. Mental health component that we have for whenever we can't service individuals, we refer out to other mental health providers. Our prevention and education, our P&E program also looks at those resources and making sure people know, hey, there's a way we can change behaviors and attitudes if we just get this information out there to let yeah. them know what to do.
1: Yeah. Now, you said earlier that it's a kind of like a taboo topic to talk about or, yeah. e- or even to to reach out for help, wanting help how do you guys break that barrier? How do, how do you help those victims help understand that it, it's okay to for us to be here and for us to help you?
0: So that's a, that's a very good question, Sierra. Um, so uh, every person responds differently to crime when it happens to them. Um, so across the board, we're trained to work with individuals regardless of their there are cultural uh, dynamics, race, or what have you. We're just here to help with the resources we have because we want them to be okay. Uh, occasionally, we may have families that are closed off to that because they don't trust anyone in that system because if they had some priors or what whatever experiences that weren't very good, or that because of what happened to them. They don't trust anyone, and they think it's going to happen again. What we try to do is make them feel like that we are uh, here to assist them. Uh, the language I like to use in my room with, with families, particularly moms, that are, or maybe sobbing after we tell her the details of what her child told us in a forensic interview is that we say we're on the same team. Yeah. We want the same thing you want. Now help us. Uh, we're going to help you get the resources, and this detective or this CPS, DFPS investigator mm-hmm. is going to take the lead on the case and we're going to yield to their expertise and how they're going to do it. And and what I've found is is that most parents in that situation, um, they want someone who's going to be there, that they're not alone. Right. They want someone right. who's going to be there on their team. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I've
2: also found, too, um, kind of going off of that, how you don't really know how everybody is going to react. Right. Um, as an advocate, we actually go to the hospitals with victims of sexual assault and we are there with them through their entire process at the hospital and you can see people we have seen many people that are you know super sad really crying Mm -hmm. super shut off you know almost in shock don't want to talk to anybody or you find the people that laugh and have fun and it's their way of coping Mm -hmm. so it's different across the board for every person
1: yeah I mean that's that's really interesting to know because then you guys have to kind of Maybe shift and change as far as maybe the words that are used or how you guys are able to tap into that to Absolutely. that individual and and their families. I think it's. I want to talk about the importance of, of course, the victim that you're helping, but then the victims, like you're talking about their families. Yes. how how does that also affect them in return? And and knowing that the victim, that's not the only victim that we're dealing with.
0: Absolutely. And, and to what Amy was sharing earlier, we are trained in those areas to, to make sure we are observing of those clients and their emotions so that we don't um, do anything, say anything that's going to incite any more emotional harm, mm-hmm. but to be helpful and resourceful at that time. Uh, the, the word that came to mind when you asked that question, Sierra, was vicarious trauma because it could uh, it's the, the individual that the traumatic event happened to is the primary, but As a family member, hearing about it, knowing about it, or whatever, they're impacted as well. And we also have research that shows the service providers also can deal with vicarious trauma as well. So we see a lot, we hear a lot with these client families that come through. Uh, uh, So uh, to help those families, we make sure they get the resources and services that they need. But we're also cognizant of our own needs emotionally. So we have to debrief. Right. We have yeah, to go yeah. and, and sit down and those really tough cases. For me, over 25 years, all child abuse is tough, but the toughest cases for me to deal with, are uh, child death cases.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Those
0: are yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those are really tough to deal with. And emotionally for me, it is a it's zapping yeah. for me. And so it takes a minute for me to debrief, process what's going on before I'm bouncing back to my bubbly self because I recognize some of those details that uh, talking to a sibling of a child who was either murdered or a child who dies and they don't know why, what happened to this kid. It's, you know, talking to that kid and hearing their story, that impacts us all.
2: Yeah, and I think, too, um, like Carrie said earlier, we do have counseling, and I can't tell you how many times I have walked into one of our counselor's offices, even not even about work, Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I have gone in about work and just say, "I need to talk," yeah. you know, and yes. they're always very, very good about listening and kind of just giving us some kind words.
1: Right, right. That's one. I mean, just a heart of gold is what was what you guys have over there at that advocacy center. Why? Why is this month specifically so important? Um, April. It's Child Abuse Awareness Month. So why? What are some things that you guys do this month? But and, and recognize. Okay, so um, our big thing is
2: pinwheels for prevention, and pinwheels represent playfulness, joy, and childhood. They have come to serve as a physical reminder of the great childhoods we want for our children. And so in 2008, Prevent Child Abuse America introduced the nationwide Pinwheels for Prevention campaign, and over 5 million pinwheels have been sold as of 2020. So I'm sure there's a lot more now. Um, and that's nationwide. Um, the pinwheels for prevention campaign encompasses child awareness and pinwheels symbolize that all children should be able to be playful, filled with joy and have a happy childhood and not worry about any violations that might occur. Yeah. So year round, um, the advocacy center conducts outreach at tabling events, things like that. Mm -hmm. And especially during April, we have pinwheels that we take out, um, so yeah, it's that's our big thing. Um, but we do like half tabling events, yeah. we have national night out that we do. Yes.
1: Um, I know you guys have joined many PD events in the yes, past as absolutely, well. Absolutely. <laughs> um,
2: uh, and Carrie and I are both on the crime victims. Coalition for McLennan County, and we do the Angel Tree every Angel year. Angel
0: Tree every year in December. It's hosted yep. by the Great Ebenezer Baptist Church. Church I know well because that's the <laughs> church I pastor right. for the past uh, 18 years. So we are very fortunate and honored to uh, host that event uh, yearly uh, for McLennan mm-hmm. County. And then uh, just to, to, to make sure that the community knows that these partnerships are banding together, mm-hmm. pulling our resources together to make sure we are representing hope and healing in places where there's not been hope and healing for families uh, impacted by crime. Uh, Tailing events are also part of that, as Amy mentioned, but we also are available to go into uh, school communities or church uh, organizations anywhere to talk about our services, to talk about our agency, and our partnerships to make sure that we present a unified front for change uh, through awareness.
2: Yeah, and our prevention and education, um, they... Actually, go into a lot of the local schools, and then they'll go to other um, places like the Cove, things like that, so that they can okay. get that information out there and educate our community as well. And then they have kiddos that help them with different projects that they do, and that's really yes. cool too.
1: Right, right. So you guys, have you guys been? You guys have been selling pinwheels for this month, April. Uh-huh. Yes. Do you know how many that you've, are compared to years past, as far as local don't not no, yet. I know no. that
2: um, we have them at all of the central National Bank locations in mm-hmm. our six counties mm-hmm. um, and I do know that they have had to go and refill at a lot of them
1: that's great and, and I know too that those pinwheels, they're pretty significant because every time they show up, every year in April, I always know why. Mm -hmm. And the first few, I've lived here in Waco for about five years now, five, six years, and the first, you know, year or two, I was like, "Where are these pinwheels coming from? They always show up. I don't know why. And then when I realized it, and it just clicks in your brain, and Mm -hmm. and you're right, it's just so much fun to see. How can you not, like, smile when you see a pinwheel? Yes, yes. So we we actually
0: have sold over – sold over roughly close to $10,000 worth for pinwheels. And uh, what the community, it it does a a couple of things. When we sell those pinwheels, we are raising awareness Mm -hmm. to these, uh, to child safety. Uh, and also for victim advocacy for families. But at the same time, we're also raising those dollars that are helping us provide the services to make sure families get what they need if something like that ever happens to them. So it's a win-win for the community, and we're out there out front trying to make sure everyone knows about it.
1: Yeah, and
2: I know... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's not about the pinwheels, but I think it's also important to mention that April is also Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Absolutely. And so... um, even seeing the pinwheels can also show people um, about the Sexual Assault Awareness Month.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting that those two are, are in the same month. And like you guys said, sexual assault is probably 90% of your cases. Of that 90%, how often do you guys see children as those victims?
0: Yeah, so that's my my program, our, uh, Children's Advocacy Center. And uh, I have a wonderful team That does an incredible job from our forensic interviewers, our case managers, our medical consultant and Dr. Sue Battle, uh, who's able to treat children or see children for medical examinations if it's beyond 120 hours since the event has ever happened to them. Uh, and then we have our, our just team of, of, of folks who just really are our state. Uh, let me put this in there: DFPS uh, intake uh, persons who read those reports from all of those statewide intakes for DFPS and make sure there's some connection with our our team. I've got a county forensic interviewer and a county case manager that are out there in the counties to do the same services that we provide here uh, in McClendon County. So those numbers are Sierra pretty. There, we've seen an increase over the years, and I keep the statistics for our services. So mm-hmm. just last year we conducted 635 forensic interviews of children that are alleged that sexual abuse or physical abuse wow. happened to them. Wow. Now, now for many people hearing those numbers, 635 sounds like, well, that's a minute number you think you'd consider of the children in McLennan County. But statistics have shown that based on every case that is reported, at least Ten go unreported. Reported, right now, you start to get into some numbers now, and we believe that it's happening a lot more than what the cases that uh, that we see through our services, because people are, mm. uh, kids are haven't disclosed yet about what happened, and disclosure is a process. Sometimes or it takes. Or they don't long. even
1: know exactly. They, the, they don't the, even know. They don't even realize what had just happened. Exactly. 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 Oh, my goodness.
0: Or, or some of the cases to where fam- family uh, in, uh, knows about it and they're saying that, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. we'll handle it to ourselves, and then those cases go unreported. So it could right. be a multitude of reasons why. Uh, but the cases, we've seen an increase over the past few years.
1: Wow, wow. And I know it was a topic of conversation in 2020 when COVID hit and... At any point, did you guys see cases go down and now they're kind of have increased and come back up? Or how have you seen specifically over the last, you know,
0: three years, how those how those reports have changed? So we've seen a a bump when COVID initially hit. Everything was kind of shut down across the board and we didn't have um, as many cases as we usually have. However, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. But as we started moving around more and during that whole time, Governor Abbott uh, in the state of Texas, uh, made CACs essential. And so when these cases came in, we had to go in. We had to go in to do our job because these these families needed our help. So whether it would be a hospital call, uh, then the advocates were at the hospital. Uh, whether it was a forensic interview, we had to show up for a forensic interview, or medical exam, when it needed to happen. Uh, so we saw a bump in our usual numbers, That bump when I say a decline, I should right. say. But as we started moving more around and kids started going back to school, even under COVID, mm-hmm. we saw an increase. Okay. And, and and what we saw in that was that children found school as a safe place. Right. And they were at home where the perpetrations happened. And they trusted their teacher or trusted a counselor or a principal to tell these things that happened to them. And then we saw an increase of numbers of cases. Yeah. And uh, so there, there's some there's some... There's some months that we can look at these statistics to see that there's a bump in in reports of cases. Mm-hmm. We see them high in January, February, right? Okay, we see them high in April because of awareness events. We see them high in August, September, and even so we'll October. Start and back yeah, up. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Exactly. Wow.
1: How you know we we talk we've talked about mandatory reporters before, and I, I know in these podcasts in the past, but how? Beneficial are they for you guys, and and how thankful are you for them being able to, like you say, these children, they see school as a safe place, so how thankful are you that these teachers are able to build those relationships?
0: Okay.
1: I think
2: they're super important. Um, I'll let Carrie talk about what we talked about earlier as far as who could, who is a mandatory reporter, but I think being able to rely on people who are being observant and being able to call law enforcement, call the advocacy center, you know, they are wanting to get help for that kid. And I think that that's super-duper important. I mean, those kids are our life, you exactly. know.
0: Exactly. And, and, and Amy's right. Mandatory reporter in, in, in our state is that uh, anyone who's professional uh, has, an, uh, you know, within 48 hours to make a report of uh, the suspected child abuse um which means they don't have to do the investigation themselves first before they call. They just need to suspect it and then call because we have a whole team of folks who are trained to initiate that investigation sure. once that call comes in. But I want to add to this that it's just not a professional in a, co- a professional capacity, a teacher, yeah. pastor for that matter, or someone else who works with, uh, with professional status. But every adult can serve as a mandated reporter. If we suspect that there's abuse happening to a child, we don't need to know for sure, we don't need to. If we suspect it mm-hmm. and make the call or referral and what the uh, the law says in good faith, mm-hmm. that we're not trying to get anyone in trouble, we're not trying to maliciously make a false report, mm-hmm. then that qualifies for mandated reporting as well. Yeah.
2: Okay. I think the phrase, if you see something, say something. Absolutely that is
1: really big. It really is. I, and and I know we say it all the time and I'm sure I don't know I know people hear it, right? And I yeah. don't know if that's something that they get tired of hearing, but it's so 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 true. Mm-hmm. If you see something say something and and like you say if it if it's in good faith and, and you suspect that or you just feel that something's off, go ahead and make a call. You know, you the, the, let those investigators, let those CPS, uh, let, let CPS come in and, and determine if actually, if something is actually happening. But just making that call could really save a life.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and, I agree. And it can also make sure that if there's any other abuse happening to other children, that they can get the yeah. help that they need mm-hmm. as well.
2: 100%. And I think, too, like I would much rather send people to, you know, check on a victim. And find out that nothing happened, Absolutely. then let yes. it happen for years and years and years. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. right. And Absolutely. and
1: like you say, it could, you know, they might suspect of, of one child, but if it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe, who knows?
0: Absolutely. And
1: yes. with these cases, are are these children usually being assaulted by people they know and, and relationships of friends and family, or are they random? W- what are you guys seeing the most?
0: So what we're seeing the most is that most kids know their perpetrator. Or There are cases where we have that are stranger, that they would have no idea who this person is that did something. But it's a small percentage yeah. based on the, the fact that most kids know who their perpetrator is.
2: Yeah, yeah I think um, like everything else, like CSI, everything, you know, movies and TV make it seem like it's a stranger Yeah, um, more than...
1: You know, just someone that they actually know. Sure, yeah. sure. I think they kind of drill that that stranger danger in, right, yes. mm-hmm. right, more often mm-hmm. when a lot of times that the, the danger might be the family member and they're not necessarily a, a stranger at that exactly. point. Exactly. So, um, now, what are what are the usual signs of, of child uh, child abuse? Those those rep, not maybe maybe not necessarily a, a teacher or a, or a pastor that might be a, a ma- considered a mandatory reporter, but just someone who's a, a friend or a family member, what, what's something that they may or may not be able to pick up on and can give a call? Um, so I wrote down a few um,
2: unusual knowledge of sexual manners in mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. you know, um, pregnancy, STIs. We, we do get, I mean, we see children that get pregnant and mom and dad had no idea, wow. you know? Yeah. Um, you yes. have um, more.
0: Yeah, that that's clear that something is happening, and, and so those are, those are and the, the latter two particularly indicative that something has happened in the sexual nature. Uh, but there are other other things that may 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 be signs of something, uh, you know, that may not necessarily mean that it's abuse, mm-hmm. but it's something to take note of. Right. Uh, kids' uh, fear of certain people and certain things or certain places or that come up. Uh, you can hear things, uh, and they, they could be fear, fearful for them because of any reason. doesn't necessarily have to mean that. Mm-hmm. But some of the things that Amy mentioned are some of the bigger things that we need to pay attention to. Uh, or just if something doesn't feel right, something doesn't doesn't look right in a proper relationship with a child, with someone else, text messages or notes that are being passed that intercept it that seem like something's going on here, unexplained bruises for physical abuse cases yeah. like may occur uh, things like that. those are things we need to sound the alarm on because there may be something else going on
2: right well and I will say too just from um, you know being at the hospital with some of the victims, um, one of the big ones that I've heard is bath time mm. like when a child is you know getting a bath and they start they get nervous you know then that's a, a big sign for right. parents
1: yeah Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, we know 911 can be called our, our non-emergency number, 750-7500. People, I'm sure, know that number. But they might not know the advocacy center or the hotline number. So if someone wanted to call you guys.
0: Yes. So they can dial uh, our, our hotline number is uh, 1-888-867-7233. It's, it's personed. Uh, personnel by uh, 24 hours of the day we have someone who picks up that phone call and answers that even after hours and I'm sitting next to the person who has the after hour hotline (laughs) (laughs) and for our law enforcement partners we have uh, a number that they can call as well and they know that per our protocol what number that is just in case there's a need for a forensic interview after hours
1: and uh, Amy have you ever had to work that 24-hour line Oh yes, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> what are the, What is that? What is that like? What What are those? What's that job like? or those hours?
2: Um, so I was actually looking at our numbers this morning. Um, we answer the phone. We have non-hospital calls and we have hospital calls. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually average around seventy calls a month. Okay, sixty to seventy, yeah. um, and we usually have fourteen to sixteen mm-hmm. hospital calls a month. Okay, And so then the rest of it is either people calling. We have a lot of spam on the hotline. Um, Much like when I was a 911 dispatcher, we would have pocket dials to 911. So it's stuff like that, you know. And we'll always double check if you're there, you know, tap on the phone, something. Mm -hmm. But it's 99.9% of the time a spam call. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Okay. And how... Uh, how interesting is it to know that, or how important it is to have that 24-hour hotline? Because how often are, how, how often do you see someone finally saying, okay, fine, I'm going to do it, but it's, it's 2 a.m. They're not mm-hmm. having that realization, you know, call the phone moment at noon. Right. During, while they're eating lunch, you know?
2: Well, and I think um, a lot of it is they're scared. Mm-hmm. And so they'll call in the middle of the night. They're embarrassed. We hear that a lot too. Um, I think it just takes them getting to a spot where, especially like at two o'clock in the morning, they're by themselves. You know, most of them are by themselves in a bed or, you know, on the couch or whatever, but they have privacy. And then they have all these thoughts running through their head and then they really want some help. And yeah. so they'll call. Um You know, a lot of the calls are people that have been assaulted years before or, you know, weeks before Mm -hmm. or something like that. And Mm -hmm. we will just talk to them and just tell them that we're here to help them, you know, offer them services at the advocacy center. And then we have a few, I've maybe talked to two or three that were recently assaulted within the last 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have gotten people to go to the hospital, you know, listen, we just want to help you out. You know, things like that. Um, and then we have, you know, just the, unfortunately, we have prank calls, you know, right. stuff yep. like that. Yep. But um, yep. I think it's really important, you know, it doesn't matter what time. There's always going to be somebody there to answer the call. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay if you call in the middle of the night. You know, yeah. I yeah. mean, we have had people, I'm so sorry I'm calling in the middle of the Aww. night. You were asleep. And I'm, no. Yeah, <laughs> we want to help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it,
0: it, takes, it, it takes the limitless Off of the limitedness of a person feeling I'm confined to this. And and that's what victimization has done to them, Mm -hmm. that they've had no power. Right. You know, what didn't happen to them. This number is giving them the power that they can get some help.
1: Yes. Okay? Yeah. And
0: to let people know about something that's hurt them, that they need some, that they're struggling with. And by dialing that number, it just sets off an incredible response, like people like Amy and her team and and folks who are waiting at the hospital to take that that client who calls within that 120-hour time frame where there could be evidence still to collect, and they get safe exams that are done by uh, Mickey, uh, who's our our safe coordinator, uh, and her team of nurses that are trained to do this. All of this matters, Uh, and so it gives them that power. yeah? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, You know, I'm probably showing my age, but it, it, it reminds me of uh, way back in the 70s, There's was a cartoon about He-Man. I don't know if y'all remember He-Man. Y'all remember He-Man? I or know maybe who He-Man you is. You remember, you He-Man know He-Man and She-Ra and, is. and yeah, Skeletor. Shira, yeah. yeah, Skeletor okay. okay the castle of Grayskull, yep, you yes. know. <laughs> yeah, you probably know that cartoon. No, she
1: started saying the rest of it. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay so Skeletor really. But you get this <laughs> image, this
0: puny little kid who has this incredible power, and he says those words, and when he does, he becomes this enormous, barbaric-looking, guy who can do all things and this yeah. battle cat is is zap and this battle cat becomes this super you know fierce cat and he's able to take on these villains to do the great In some bizarre way in my crazy mind there is yeah. this phone number that's there for someone to dial it even if it's in the middle of the night mm-hmm. when they were worried about us oh i'm sorry i woke you mm-hmm. i just needed someone to talk to they're getting their power back yeah and then Absolutely. they can get the services that they need. It's an, And to me, that's what our hotline does. When we started the hotline years ago, that was for that purpose, that sole purpose to so people to have the power to reach out and get the help that they need.
2: Yeah. And I think, too, like calling the hotline, they're not speaking to family or close friends. It's somebody that's not biased, you know, that somebody that doesn't know them, and they can talk to them freely because maybe they're embarrassed to tell their family or their friends, sure, you know, yeah. or, um, you know, we've had some people that, you know, they are like in relationships with people of the same sex, but their family doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so yeah. it's things like that, that these mm-hmm. people are so scared to go to their family or friends. So they'll call us mm-hmm. getting in power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. And Amy, I think you made touched on it a little bit, but it's really important to talk about is that the abuse, the the assault, whatever it might happen, the crime didn't have to happen right then and there. No, mm-hmm. no. It, it, right. You'll still help even
2: if it happened years ago. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've talked to people on the hotline or that come into the center that, you know, this happened 25 plus years ago. But maybe they're seeing it in their family members that okay, they're at that age, and now I'm getting scared for them. Or, you know, they have their own children or something yeah. like that, and it just brings back those thoughts. Yeah.
0: It's uh, AMAC, Adults and Malecidist Children. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's triggering moments and emotions, and something happened to their children, and it triggers to them, hey, this happened to me, but I never told anyone about mm-hmm. it. Right. And so they can also get the help that they can vicariously, yeah. but also primarily based on what experience they've had years ago. Yeah.
1: So what are what what can people do to help the advocacy center? Was there volunteer opportunities, any job opportunity? what what can they do? So um our my big one,
2: for me at yeah. least, um, is hotline advocates. Yay. We we, <laughs> we love our hotline advocates. Yes, we um, do. We take volunteers for that and basically just to make it very quick, mm-hmm. hotline advocates will have a phone. Monday through Thursday, 5 to 8.30 the next morning, Friday, 3 to 8.30 the next morning, and Saturday and Sunday, 8.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. And it's basically answering the call if someone calls in or going to the hospital. It's all volunteer, and we love our volunteers. It helps us out, too, as staff members, because we're also case managers and work in the office. And Mm -hmm. so if we are so busy then we can't go to the office and we can't help the people that we have been helping because we've been gone at the hospital, you know, right. even though we love it. But, you know, it's just part of that. But on top of that, we have charitable contributions, um, money or snacks, yes, anything like that. We also participate in the Christmas adoption every year. And our counselors will nominate families or individuals that – um, could really use some help for Christmas. Absolutely and yes. we have donors from all over that donate for that. Um, we have emergency funds that people can donate to, um, especially if they say this is for emergency funds. Um, we have the Mardi Gras ball every year. Um, and we just had our 11th mm-hmm. Mardi Gras ball. Yes, okay. um, We have designer purse bingo. Mm. And that is, it happens in McLennan County and yeah. Hill County, correct? Right. Um, And then, I didn't know about this until this morning, it's something called PAVE, and it stands for Prevention, Advocacy, Victory, Education, and it's where people can go and make like a monthly donation, and it's year-round. They can go and sign up for it, and the Advocacy Center takes donations there.
0: Absolutely, and I think it's important to to mention, as Amy was saying, Sierra, is that folks who may not be willing to commit to a time uh, with volunteering for an, an, a hotline, we've had other ways. Uh, there's several ways you can also help our families. And yeah. I want to make mention of one uh, that, uh, that is uh, part of our list as well. When clients go to the hospital and they have to have a, a sexual assault examination, um, sometimes, in many cases, uh, their clothing is, becomes part of evidence. Yeah. Okay? And then if they're there in those clothes and happening, they're going to need something that they need to go home in. Mm-hmm. And so families, individuals may say, I can't volunteer, or I can't buy a ticket to Mardi Gras, or I can't do this. But what I can do is to make sure that there are monies available to purchase undergarments for individuals to come home in mm-hmm. or to make sure that there's any personal care items that they need is taken care of their their scrubs or or clothing that they can have all of these every dollar counts and every person can have a place to, to volunteer in some way mm-hmm. and trust me it will go a long way yes it will It'll yeah. go yes. a long way
2: and also to add to that for the hospital specifically um, we always have snacks and drinks available because yes. some of these people are coming in straight out of the yes. situation, and yes. they haven't eaten or drinking at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. Eaten or dr- I got you. We um, understood you. Yeah. Yeah. So, we got you. <laughs> um, we do take donations for that, too. In fact, we just got a very large donation that we've been able to take up to the front desk on uh-huh. the uh, Children's Advocacy Center side and take to the hospital exactly. that we can have all of those food and drinks there for them yeah. as well. Wow, that's
1: great.
0: Yeah, trafficking victims, yeah. all this what Amy's talking about, fresh out of what they're experiencing. So many of them, as we've seen, haven't eaten in in days. And so now we have this availability for them. So folks can can really play a part in volunteering in Mm -hmm. their own special way. That's stuffed animals, too. Yeah. We always hand out out stuffed animals. (laughs) Brand new. Yeah, brand unused. new, yeah. Brand new yeah. unused, okay. yes, tag on them. That will be okay. great, yes.
1: And can they just bring those by to the to the center?
0: Yeah, just mm-hmm. call them okay. or come by, and we'll, we'll meet you at the door.
1: That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> That's good. And I'm sure they can find all this information on your website as well.
0: So what we usually Google, I tell folks, is Google Advocacy Center in Waco, Texas. It'll take you to our webpage. Just click it up. Uh, it's uh, Open Door, I believe, Advocacy, uh, to be sure. Uh, it's uh, Open Door. Fancy with uh, technology, uh, and we so just Google Advocacy Center, and uh, you'll find us. And we're at the Hillcrest location, and uh, we'll be glad to, to to take any donations that you have. It's Advocacy Center dot it's Advocacy dot That's our that's uh, our our URL.
1: Basically, center without the East. Yeah. Right, right. And do you guys have a Facebook page or other social media? Yes. We
2: do. We have Instagram and Facebook.
0: Okay. And I thought I saw it. Did I see Twitter on there? I think we do have yeah. a Twitter, actually. Now, so most of our staff are really savvy with all of those <laughs> social media things. Right, right. Some of us... Old people are, are really good at just one. <laughs> so, but all of them are on there. You'll see at the at the bottom of our, our webpage all the places that we're connected. Well, yeah.
1: good and yeah, yeah. Uh, those of you that are listening, follow them on social media so you can stay up to date on next year's pinwheels and any other events that might be coming up or opportunities to to help out at the advocacy center. Uh, is there is there anything else you guys want to talk about? I just want to say thank you for letting
2: Absolutely. us come and talk about this. This is super important information.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Very, very nice to come up and to just share what's something we really love.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we appreciate the work that you do here, at the police department, and, and I'm sure the the rest of the community just just uh, cannot uh, you know live every day w- without you guys. So I thank think you. that that is just something that I really appreciate. Thank you. You guys coming on and just talking about the the services that you guys do provide. And thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Waco PD on the Beat. We hope you guys have a great weekend. I'm Sierra Shipley, the Public Information Officer for the Waco Police Department. Have a good day.
0: Waco PD on the Beat. The heartbeat serving you.